All right, and here we go. Welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Join with me across the virtual table, the one, the only, enjoying his summer, I certainly hope, Ryan Shumpert. Good afternoon, my friend. What's going on? Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Yeah, I, I like the the across the virtual table line. I never never heard that one before. That's pretty good. But yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, and and what has you know turned out to be a pretty uh, busy week at Tennessee sports. So excited to to get back on here. I think it's been a minute since you and I have been on one of the podcasts. Uh, and yeah. I'm excited to talk about some some NCAA sanctions and some Tennessee <laughs> basketball news. Yeah, it's certainly been a minute since you and I have just gotten to kind of do the podcast together. And obviously, we had a big baseball season here in Knoxville. You and Jack Foster were on top of absolutely everything. But I'm hoping you've got you've certainly got to wind down a little bit here in the month of July and kind of relax a little bit. I know what you're 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 not even in Knoxville right now, right? You're enjoying a little bit of time away. Yeah, I'm back in Nashville uh, at the parents' house for this week, uh, which has been nice. Be back, see some family, see some friends. Uh, from Nashville, but yeah, it's uh, this week I'd say has been pretty busy between the MLB draft and just a handful of stuff. But you know, most of the summer has been uh, a little bit calmer. Like I guess the the few weeks between this week and, and when baseball season ended. Yeah, you know, when we can look down here on Friday, July fourteenth, and we can say that there are there is you know pretty imminent football news and pretty imminent basketball news kind of on the radar. I think it means one thing and one thing only, and that's that the fall is right around the corner. So like Ryan said, we got a couple of big stories to kind of talk about today, kind of catch up on the last two weeks, maybe not as much rewinding, but just hitting a couple of the big topics that, you know, we might've missed just being away from the podcast on a little bit of a break. Four big topics for you kind of today, and we'll split it up between half a halfway point of, around the show. But like Ryan mentioned, we're going to talk about the punishment that the NCAA handed down to Tennessee from the Jeremy Pruitt era. We're going to talk a little bit of recruiting news from the football side. We're going to take a break and then get over to the basketball side of things. Thursday morning, there was a little bit of big breaking news as Chris Ledlam ends an 86-day stint in Knoxville. He came to Tennessee from the transfer portal from Harvard, but now he's back in the transfer portal. So we'll kind of break that down for you. We got a lot of good information there. But, Ryan, what do you say we go ahead and start rocking and rolling, get right into the big news of Friday heading into the weekend, and that's the NCAA handing down the punishment for Tennessee from the Jeremy Pruitt era. Yeah, let's do it. So... We're gonna we're gonna get to talk about this story quite a bit over the next few minutes or so, but kind of what I want to start with are the big bullet points. Ultimately, to me, three big things stand out from kind of where we are in this thing. Number one, Tennessee did avoid the bowl ban moving forward, which I think for a lot of people was huge. That's obviously a a uh, we know the importance of that to the end of the season, not just for the team, not just for the players, not just for the fan base, but for the financials as well. So that right there is a big thing. Number two, Jeremy Pruitt, former coach uh, coach of Tennessee, receives what a six year. Uh, show cause ban. So that's an interesting one for him going forward. He's obviously been around, out of the sport for a while. And then number three, Tennessee will have some some reduction in scholarships slash there's a big old hefty $8 million fine that landed on them coming up today. Now, Ryan, I've seen a lot of kind of, believe it or not, mixed reaction right off the bat. Maybe maybe this is a little bit of a reactionary period. We're actually only recording this podcast I mean, probably, what, an hour after the news was released. So I think people are still digesting it, still breaking it down, but I have seen a little bit of mixed reactions. What's kind of your overall first thought when you saw this come down for Tennessee today? Yeah, well, well my overall first thought was, all right, let's 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 go get to work. Um, yeah. But no, you're right. It's, it's probably maybe been 90 minutes or so since it broke, and 
from the time we got the article done to talking to you, getting drumming on the Zoom to talk to you, it, it was kind of like, all right, you need to take a few seconds just to like decompress. Like, what what is this good for Tennessee? Like, what what could you expect? And you know, I think overall, it's not. I don't think you can be too upset if you're Tennessee by any means. You avoid the bowl ban, which I think was the biggest one in the NCAA report. It said, you know, by our own bylaw or by our old bylaws, yeah, this probably would have uh, required this would have required a bowl ban, and really, I think a two year bowl ban is what it said, but uh, between the Tennessee compromising or not compromising, but cooperating with the investigation. One of the lines in here from the panel was Tennessee's cooperation throughout the investigation and processing of this case was exemplary by any measure. Although this case involved egregious conduct, Tennessee's response to that conduct is the model all institutions should strive to follow. I think between that side effect and then I think some new rules that went in about a year or two ago where they don't want to punish current players uh, for, you know, sanctions that are in uh, things that, that happened at the program before they got there. Uh, that's kind of how Tennessee avoids the bull ban. That $8 million fine is kind of what I would say is the substitute for the bull ban. It's said in there, this is what we project Tennessee would have made from postseason play in 2023 and 2024 uh, was a total of $8 million. So that's where that comes in. And then a lot of the recruiting, I think the recruiting stuff is probably the bigger stuff, bigger sanctions. Um, a, a lot of less on the scholarship reductions because Tennessee had done a, a lot of that to begin with. Uh, I think the number was they needed 28 total scholarship reductions over five years of probation, at least two a season. Tennessee's already done 16. So over the next five years, they'll have to uh, do have 12 scholarships taken away two a year. So, that, you know, I don't think that's crazy. Uh, but some of the official visit, unofficial visit stuff they can't do and just uh, lack of evaluation dates, I think, is really where the biggest uh, thing of the punishment comes for Tennessee. Yeah, and to even add on to that a little bit, I, I saw a report from VolQuest earlier today that by the end of the season, by the end of kind of this cycle, Tennessee's number is going to be up to 18 right there. So I think naturally you would kind of expect you, that Tennessee follows the maybe two scholarships per year over the next five years, and then that's ultimately what gets them up to that 28. But I'm with you, Ryan. I, I think my first instinct with this, and you know, after being able to sit with it for about an hour or so, is – at the end of the day, this is this is okay for Tennessee. I think ultimately the the postseason bowl ban would have been uh, a massive detractor and and a big step back ultimately for what Josh Heupel and this new administration and kind of this this new program is building in this era. I think that just would have been a, a huge, uh, not a penalty. I don't want to use that word, but just a, a again a huge setback blow. for yeah a huge yeah. blow for for what they're trying to build here. So that to me was the biggest thing that stood out immediately. And I think once you work downwards from that, you can assess things individually and say, okay, the eight million dollar fine, yeah, that's a pretty hefty price tag. yeah, the 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 number of scholarships or or the number of uh, visits and unofficials that are going to get reduced a little bit. yeah, that's you know that's definitely a little bit striking. But I think really ultimately, everything falling under the umbrella of the no bo- no bowl ban, is a net win for Tennessee, and, and they'll have to deal with the rest of it. But to me, that was the that was the big news to come out of the day. And ultimately, for what you said, seems like Tennessee's cooperation, maybe not have ended up perfect, but it seems to be something that helped this process. And, and I think that, you know, that'll be the general consensus once this is really processed over the next few days and over the next few weeks and so on and so forth. Yeah, and that was what was, to me, was one of the big gambles of Tennessee going this route and not paying Jeremy sure. Pruitt. His buyout was, in a lot of these cases, even the people who've cooperated, they've gotten really bad deals. I mean, Oklahoma State basketball with Mike Boynton, 
they self-reported all their uh, sanctions. I think it was some academic fraud type situation, and they get a they get a postseason ban for a year. I know Missouri uh, had that. I think multi-sport scandal, and also with some academic stuff that they self-reported, and they got hit, punished pretty hard. So you didn't know whether that cooperation would really have an effect, and I think it's pretty clear that it did. So uh, that's a big win for Tennessee. Kind of going over some of uh, the other recruiting. Uh, sanctions that Tennessee gets 36 official visits during the five-year probation Uh, with all of these anything Tennessee's done in the last two years can fight against that 36 so I'll tell you the number the NCAA said and what the number is after uh, tennis you know factoring in what Tennessee's already done 36 total which is down to 29 after what Tennessee has already done Uh, and then unofficial visit weeks uh, a reduction of 40 of them uh, Tennessee has already done eight so that would get it down to 32 uh, recruiting communications, uh, really the last thing on the recruiting front, a 28-week ban in recruiting communication over the five years of probation. Tennessee had already self-imposed eight, so that will be down to 20. Uh, the other thing that's kind of specific with that, they I thought the NCAA, good job if you're trying to make it sting more or whatever, but uh, it has to be three weeks a year, and one of those three weeks has to be in December, one of them has to be in January, one of them has to be March to June. So they hit some of those a uh, busy recruiting kind of calendar to, to further hit Tennessee a little harder on that. And then uh, I guess the last sanction is just that Tennessee, any records or wins uh, that in yeah. player played in uh, that was ineligible, which I'm not exactly sure how many games, what games that would be, because obviously it wouldn't just be straight up the whole Jeremy Pruitt era. All those would be reducted. Obviously Tennessee did not win anything of importance and they didn't win too many games in general during Jeremy Pruitt era. So that's not going to matter too, too much, but that's kind of uh, the last little thing to throw on there with get the whole picture of all the sanctions on the Tennessee side of things, not just the people, the people that got punished. Yeah. And then pardon me, if you already said this, I'm sorry, you you had broken up for a second there on on my own connection. But the other thing that I, I thought was noteworthy was that uh, Tennessee will have to choose eight games over the next five years that will not yeah. be able to have visitors, four of those being SEC games. So, again, you, you can kind of probably figure which ones they might be uh, more proactive towards, you know, towards kind of putting those with. But that's another interesting thing. But, yeah, I, I think even going back to a point that you made a second ago with the idea of the gamble that Tennessee took, right, with the with the original $13 million buyout for Jeremy Pruitt versus kind of going through all this and then still hitting get hitting tagged uh, with the $8 million fine at the very end of it. To me, that's one of the big things that I've kind of seen people debating already here in these first couple of moments and first hour or two uh, of where this goes. And I don't know if this is going to be kind of the big continued conversation out of it because I think that ultimately both routes probably lead you to a Again, with this um, with this punishment that's been handed down, and honestly, a lot of my thoughts just kind of go towards, okay, well, how is this going to affect things moving forward as opposed to what could have been done differently? Again, I, I just think that ultimately, no matter which route they would have taken, and you know, ultimately, we'll never know what the other route would have looked like. But I, I have a hard time believing that it ended up in a in a back and forth right if you remember correctly this all began in november 2020 kind of during the pandemic era so this has been going on for a long time i think that a lot of the facts and and whatnot did come out but hey i I do think that tennessee might have benefited a little bit in certain kind of ways for again at least having that cooperation in the route that they did choose but that's at least one of the early conversation that i've seen here in this first like you said 90 minutes or so 
Yes, I think there's kind of two things I would say to that. First, when you're talking about the debate of whether Tennessee should have just fired Jeremy Pruitt uh, with without cause and paid his $13 million buyout, I think the big question there is the NCAA figured out about the, the violations and the, the 18 level one violations otherwise, because I think you could say if no one ever figures out about it and you – uh, fire Jeremy Pruitt, and it's you know you're paying five more five million more than you are with the eight million dollar fine. But all of the black cloud over the program and all that stuff that came with it, you could argue, yeah, that probably balances itself out, or maybe you would have been better off uh, to just fire him a cause. But that's a pretty big gamble that you're assuming no one sure. the NCAA, no one ever figures out uh, about pretty rampant violations. So if you fire him without cause and you pay his buyout, and then you got to deal with all the NCA stuff. Well, yeah. it's a massive, massive loss. And then I think to second, the second point kind of to, to what you were saying, I think the big question there, if you're talking about how does it all end up similarly differently? Well, Tennessee just fires Jeremy Pruitt without cause. Did they fire Philip Fulmer too? But they didn't even fire Philip Fulmer. They let him sure. retire and one of the all time great shams in the 21st century in Knoxville. If not, and, Jer- and Philip Fulmer's making the next football hire, well, I can tell you, for one, he's not hiring Josh Heifel. Obviously, he doesn't have the connection. I don't think uh, Philip Fuller was going to hire somebody that plays the style of football Josh Heifel does. And so, obviously, Tennessee going gangbusters over the last two years probably doesn't happen on that front. And, you know, he could have hired someone else good, I guess. But uh, I don't have a, a ton of confidence in, in what Philip Fuller was going to do in, in hiring a good football coach. So I think that's kind of the big question of you look at what really changes in the long run. Uh, if Tennessee fires Pruitt with or without cause. I think the yeah. big question is who's who's hiring the next football coach? Because if it's Philip Fulmer, I think it makes a, a pretty big difference in what would have happened. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, and I didn't even necessarily think about that route. I, I guess just kind of my first initial impression about this was just kind of, all right, well, where are the big, broad kind of things and, and maybe even some of the things that were laid out in this punishment, where do those kind of things end up? But I think what you're saying is spot on. You got to think about all the extra gears that were turning if you will because of these decisions and ultimately we know about hindsight over the last three years we know that the position that Tennessee has kind of crawled their way back into it and it's really an impressive position they're in right now so yeah that's that's a great point I, I think ultimately you just see how everything's worked out in the right way and uh or at least just the way that it has for Tennessee and and they consider it the the right direction that they're going so that's a uh that's an interesting thought no doubt about it but this ultimately this is a, a, a at least a day that many people were waiting on just to finally kind of get that answer. We know that the big hearing kind of happened in April, so we knew this was eventually going to come around the corner. But yeah, I, that, that seems to be the, the big bullet points of, uh, of what was handed down today. Am I kind of missing anything or any other thoughts? No, I think we've, we've covered from the Tennessee side well. I guess just the quick hit on uh, the people who were at Tennessee, the former employees now that got punishers. Six, no, correction, eight uh, people that got show cause penalties. Uh, obviously, Jeremy Pruitt being the main one, six years. Uh, the other one, other seven between two and ten years show causes. Uh, a handful of those, especially the assistant coaches, came out uh, a couple months ago and we had stories on. And so nothing too, too crazy there. But Jeremy Pruitt, Bethany Gunn, who is the director of recruiting, Chant Trice Boone, I don't know how to – that's how you pronounce that name. <laughs> former assistant director recruiting uh, got the 10-year show cause, by far the longest. Derek Ansley, former defense coordinator, gets two-year show cause. He's the Chargers defense coordinator. He could give a crap. 
Brian Niedemeyer gets a five-year show cause. He was, a, uh, I think, inside linebackers, maybe outside linebackers coach. Shelton Felton was the other other uh, linebackers coach. He got a four-year show cause. Drew Hughes, former director of player personnel, four-year show cause. And Michael Magnus, former student assistant, got a student assistant, got a three-year show cause. So that's kind of just, uh, the brunt of it on the former Tennessee staffers who get punished side of it. I don't think anything there was too crazy and obviously doesn't have it. A ton of effect on Tennessee going forward, but that's kind of what the other party's guilty. Uh, that was their punishment. There you go. You can go ahead and read all of this and more over at RockyTopInsider.com. We're going to be continuing posting about this story just throughout the day, throughout the weekend, whatever comes up in the place. But again, you can go and read the original um, article that Ryan posted for RockyTopInsider.com over there right now. It is live as you're listening to this. But ultimately, kind of Ryan, final thoughts. Uh, I, I think that yes. The $8 million is a, is a hefty fine. Yes, there's a couple of recruiting sanctions that they're going to have to continue to navigate around over the next couple of years. But to me, the no bull ban is really the headlining point about this whole thing. And that is a, that's a positive point for Tennessee to continue moving through the, uh, throughout the future. And ultimately, it could have been worse. I, I, I do believe that it could have been worse for Tennessee. And we'll see what happens going next. But that bull ban, excuse me, the no bull ban, that to me is the big standout of what we've been learning today. Yeah, I would agree with all that. And I think it's just good for Tennessee to get in the rearview mirror and not have the cloud of what's going to happen with the NCA over their heads. Uh, I'm sure that's been a pain for everybody involved uh, over the last two years. So uh, I think it's just good to get your punishment, know what you're up against. It'd be very uh, transparent with recruits, with everybody, what's going on. And now you can, Worked, like you said, you got some stuff you kind of got to navigate around, but work to put it in the rearview mirror uh, officially and not have that kind of black cloud hanging over the program. And you're still fighting for your postseason goals. And I think that's a big that's thing, right. obviously. Keep the morale for the for the current group high. The, the current group that really, for the most part, had no connection or no involvement with all of these things that were going on with the previous administration. So you can still keep morale high. Do your best to bring in talent. And, Ryan, that's what they've been trying to do here over this summer. It's been a... a a fascinating recruiting month. Uh, well, excuse me, two months for, for Tennessee here during June and July. Let's rewind the clock back just a little bit. Tennessee closed out a tremendous June, uh, June with a trio of talented prospects. They landed four-star athlete Boo Carter from the Chattanooga area, four-star wide receiver Braylon Staley from the um, – I can't South remember. Carolina. There you go, from South Carolina area. I knew it was down south. And then again, a fringe four-star, pretty much three-star linebacker, Jordan Burns out of Atlanta, Georgia. That's a pretty nice trio to uh, to close the month of June with. But Boo Carter, really kind of one of the standout pieces there. Fast forward a little bit, Tennessee lands four-star offensive lineman William Satterwhite. That was a big pickup for Tennessee, considering just a couple days before, they lost out offensive lineman Ronan O'Connell to Clemson. Tennessee beat out Clemson for Satterwhite's commitment. So certainly you can see the battles going on right here during the summer. You can see where Tennessee stands in some of them. I looked at the recruiting numbers yesterday. Tennessee ranked number 13 in the country, according to On3 and Rivals. Uh, that was number 13, and then number 12, according to 247. So right there on the outside of the top 10 looking in as we approach the fall, uh, just right on the other side of the horizon. But going back to Boo Carter, one of Tennessee's obviously the big, one of the biggest commits in Tennessee's class, and to me, one of the most vocal commits in Tennessee's class. And I think that you need those guys because as great as recruiting is from coaches, you got to have those players recruiting each other too, right? Those friendships and those relationships, they carry a lot of weight going forward. So Boo Carter, one of the one of the in-state uh, commits that Tennessee has in the class of 2024 right now, he posted recently, let's see, that was back on July 8th, a little bit of a 
Christmas wish list for Tennessee recruiting, if you will. Is that correct? Yeah, basically just a tweet that said I want and tagged a bunch of players. So, yes, and I think he's been very active as a kind of a peer recruiter for Tennessee. How about this? I will list off the names from the recruiting wish list, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give a little bit of what we know. We won't spend a ton of time on each, but just a little bit of what we know on each. It's a pretty big list, so these are some definitely some names to get to know, uh, some names to know, uh, and we'll tell you a little bit about him. Huh? How about that? How about yeah, let's that? do it. Number one yeah, that he put on the great. list, and I think this is certainly maybe number one on most Tennessee fans' wish lists, Wide receiver Mike Matthews, one of the top players in the country. He, he is a five-star recruit, the number 13 player in the country, according to 247, a terrific wide receiver. Yeah, definitely. I, one of the biggest wish lists uh, for all Tennessee coaches and fans. And kid from Atlanta, uh, Georgia's involved with this one, but it, it really feels like Clemson and USC is Tennessee's biggest competition. He went on, like a lot of these kids, he went on all his official visits in June. Uh, it feels like maybe a July, August decision coming, but uh, we'll see on that. One of, uh, like I said, one of Tennessee's top targets, and I think a guy that Carter, I want to say, played basketball or, or maybe baseball with growing up. There's, a, I know there's a personal connection uh, between Boo Carter and Mike Matthews, too, which isn't the end-all be-all, but certainly isn't a bad thing for Tennessee either. Going down the list a little bit, another wide receiver. How about Ryan Wingo, number 23 player in the country and the number seven receiver in the country. This is another five-star prospect that a lot of teams have their eye on. Yeah, St. Louis kid, and it feels like the contenders for him have, you know, alternated a a lot over the last four or five months. Uh, Georgia, Texas, Missouri, Michigan, all places he's taking visits to in addition to Tennessee, but it kind of feels like Georgia and Tennessee have been the constants in that conversation over the last couple of months. Uh, Texas does seem like they've kind of come on as of late, but feels like this one's less pressing. Uh, it sounds like he's going to take his recruitment into the fall, maybe even the signing date in December. So uh, he's got used some of his visits, but uh, at this point it feels like this is going to be kind of a long battle and one Tennessee's in the thick of, uh, but nothing coming from a commitment imminently. Going to the next one, how about four-star wide receiver Amari Jefferson? I'll kind of add a little bit to this one as well. A talented four-star receiver out of the Chattanooga area. I believe Baylor High School as well. This is a, a, a talented prospect who just recently announced that he has a commitment date just right around the corner coming up on August 5th. He also said his final trio Pretty big powerhouse trio of Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia. Seems like maybe Alabama and Tennessee are in the running, but obviously those three schools are are top tier, and each one are giving him a a, a big push here late in his recruitment. Definitely, and I'll I'll have to correct you because I, okay. I don't want our Chattanooga listeners to get mad. It's just the Baylor school, not Baylor High School. Uh, Baylor oh, school. I knew that. I even wrote about it the other day. I just said high school. It just it just came to the front. I'm glad you caught me though. Yeah, and, you know, he's like, I think, around the number 200 player in the country for most sites. But with both him and Edwin Spillman, who's a linebacker from Nashville, who uh, isn't on this list. But those are two guys that, you know, Tennessee's battling for Spillman, Ohio State, and for Jefferson, Georgia, and Alabama. So they're not, like, the very top from a ranking standpoint, Tennessee targets. But when you look at who Tennessee's going to have to beat out to get them, I think they immediately kind of go up the list of priorities. But, yeah, Jefferson, that's been Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee for a while. I think uh, VolQuest reported earlier this week that he plans on visiting both Tennessee and Alabama again 
uh, in the late July after the recruiting dead period ends and before that early August commitment date. So that would kind of indicate to me that this one's down to Tennessee and Alabama, and we'll see what happens. Another thing with Jefferson is he's been a Tennessee baseball commit uh, for a couple of years now. I don't know. You know, I'm doubtful that he will end up playing baseball in college, but at this stage in things, at this stage, he wants to play baseball. So I, you know, obviously Tennessee's got a little bit better program than Alabama. That could be a potential bonus or a little bit of an advantage Tennessee has in this one. Yeah, and just real quick, just talking about those three receivers in general, Jefferson, Wingo, and Matthews, if you compare any two of them up with with Braylon Staley, I think that you have one of the best recruiting wide receiver trios in the nation, if not the best. I mean, just oozing with with athleticism, versatility, and just just raw talent catching the football. I, I think those are certainly big targets that Tennessee wants to pair up together. Okay, let's move a little bit on in the list. How about four-star offensive tackle Bennett Warren? That's one of my Texas guys down there in Sugarland, kind of in the Houston area. What do you think about him? Yeah, this one kind of felt like uh, one another relationship with Carter. I'm not sure what it is, but it, it feels like it kind of came out of nowhere where he visited Tennessee back a few weeks ago, and then Tennessee was all of a sudden kind of near the top of his list. Uh, I would maybe say Bennett Warren's most important get left on Tennessee's board. They've whipped on so many offensive tackles really the last yeah. two years, but especially this cycle. He's the last big-name offensive tackle left, so we'll see what happens there. Michigan and Texas A&M seem to be the other two teams uh, that are pushing really hard or kind of in the thick of it for him, but uh, a really important recruitment and one that makes a lot of sense that, that Carter would put on his wish list. Camarion Franklin is another player that Boo Carter has on his wish list, one that has generated a little bit of buzz here in the Tennessee area as his recruitment continues to go on. I know he's got some big suitors as well, but a big four-star recruit, a defensive lineman from the state of Mississippi. What do you think about Camarion Franklin and, and maybe where Tennessee stands there? Top 50 recruit, uh, one that's been Tennessee's biggest target. So I feel like Ronnie Garner's been on him for a, a long, long time. Uh, again, kind of like Wingo, Wingo feels a little more definitive that I think is going to get to the fall and the winter. Franklin yeah. just doesn't feel like there's a clear time time frame right now on when he could do something. I know he did schedule a visit to go to Auburn uh, the last weekend of July once the recruiting uh, dead period ends, so that would kind of indicate that he's not going to do anything this month. But you, you never know with these things. Auburn, Miami, Ole Miss kind of seem to be the, the top contenders along with Tennessee. Yes, absolutely. And we also know that he's one of Rodney Garner's kind of main targets in this class. We know that when Rodney Garner puts his mind to something, that can be that can be a pretty powerful force. So we'll kind of see how this thing weighs out. Like you said, it could go a little bit more into the fall just as he continues to get all his ducks in a row. But that's certainly one of the players that, that uh, Boo Carter has in his wish list. Okay, three more as we run through. Kai Bates. A cornerback, so that's a that's a first, I guess, for uh, for this wish list. That's the same kind of position that Boo Carter seems to be tracking for. It's one of the uh, top athletes in the class. But Kai Bates, another four star recruit, just outside of the top one hundred in the country. Uh, but he's a Florida native. What, what do you think about uh, what do you think about Tennessee's chances here? It seems like it's coming down to the Vols and then one more top school from the SEC. Yeah, Orlando kid, and it seems like fully Tennessee or LSU battle. This one, you know, from. I'm not the biggest recruiting expert, but from what I can tell, it kind of feels like neck and neck. It doesn't feel like any team's really ever had an advantage in this one. So uh, we'll see what happens. I'm not really sure on the timetable of all these kids on this list. Kai Bates is probably the one I know the least amount about. Obviously, Tennessee signed a really good corner class in 2023, but they've been pretty light on big names there in 2024. So I think this one uh, becomes a really important get because of that. And uh, you're talking about a you know guy right outside the top 100 and you're 
competing against one of the best programs in the SEC to get. So uh, another big time battle, like you know, really all these guys are. Yeah, and just one of the fastest rising teams. Obviously, we know that Tennessee has been skyrocketing on the football scene as well in the last two years, but. LSU doing the same, and their whole whole entire athletics program is really making waves right now. Okay, two more, and one of these players, Ryan, you won't have to even discuss a commitment down the future. We'll get there here in a second as the last player, but how about Jordan Ross, an Alabama native, a four-star recruit in the class, top 50 player in the country. This is a a talented defensive lineman, and again, another player that Rodney Garner seems to be specifically having his eyes on, just trying to fortify the trenches for Tennessee, knowing how important that's been for this defense that's obviously struggled a little bit in the last two years, but that defensive line has been such a constant, such an important piece. Jordan Ross is a guy that Tennessee is trying to bring in and add to it. This one has been an interesting one in the sense that it's a Birmingham suburb kid, Vestavia Hills. And really, neither of the Alabama schools seem like they've had too big of an impact, especially Alabama and its recruitment. Uh, Auburn, it does seem like they're kind of trying to get involved right now as well as LSU. Florida and Georgia, for the longest time, uh, seemed like his top three along with Tennessee. But uh, I know there was a report from one of the Florida recruiting sites. I can't remember uh, whether it was on three, two, four, seven rivals down there. But one of those sites reported uh, earlier this week that Florida was kind of backing off their recruitment of them. So uh, it kind of feels like maybe Georgia, Tennessee, and maybe that opens up the door for uh, another suitor or two. And then last one, uh, let's see. And again, Ryan, this is the one that you won't have to predict a future commitment date for because, well, he already he already committed to Georgia back in, let's see, January, February, March. So we committed to Georgia in mid-March. This is safety DeMello Jones from uh, Swainsboro, Georgia, in the class of 2024. And I'm pretty sure Boo Carter even kind of referenced that in his tweet. He said, I don't want to flip DeMello Jones over to Tennessee. Again, this is a guy who's a Georgia commit, but uh, one that seems to be good friends with Boo Carter and one that Boo Carter's trying to go after. And DeMello Jones has been on Tennessee's campus pretty frequently this spring. I think he unofficially visited back in May and then officially visited again in June. So, you know, Tennessee has done what they need to do to be in the conversation for a flip. Um, but, again, it's just kind of hard to see. It's, it's hard to see. It's a kid committed to Georgia. They've won two straight national titles. They've been the best or, at worst, the second-best recruiting school in the country the last five years. It's hard to flip guys from that state who are, uh, are committed to the program of that quality. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, Tennessee's kind of laid the groundwork to, to give themselves a chance, but it feels like you're fighting a, a real uphill battle when you're talking about a guy that's already committed to Georgia. One more bit of recruiting news. Uh, four-star running back Braylon Russell out of the class of 2024 from Benton, Arkansas, is set to commit today on Friday. It looks like it's been a, a pretty good race between Tennessee and Arkansas, or at least Tennessee has has had a good hand in, in this recruitment, and I believe even got the final visit in late June out of the four between Arkansas, South Carolina, and Baylor, but it does maybe look like Benton uh, Braylon Russell is going to swing to Arkansas today, so I don't have any inside knowledge on that. I don't have a, an answer myself, but that's at least something I'm kind of expecting maybe that comes later in the day but we'll see as again Tennessee has been in the race for a little while now yeah it feels like that one's been Arkansas Tennessee for a while we'll see what happens you know I think it's easy for people to be all fired up about a four-star or make a big deal about it to me you know Tennessee at running back they've you look at what they got on roster I think they have one of the best running back rooms in the SEC right now they have three three stars none of them were big recruits they already had Peyton Lewis who's a top 150 kid uh, run the running back spot committed in this class. So this would be a second running back. Obviously, a guy Tennessee wants, a guy Tennessee's targeted, but I don't think this is really one that moves the needle a ton either, either way. 
That is going to wrap up the football portion of the RTI Press Pass here today. Obviously talking a little bit about the NCAA punishments that were handed out on Friday. Talking a little Tennessee football as the recruiting cycle continues to go on. Breaking down Boot Carter's wish list that he posted just a couple days ago as we go forward and such. All right, Ryan, let's do this. Let's catch a quick break right here, come back on the other side. And then we just got a little bit of basketball news to talk about. The big breaking news on Thursday morning was that Former Tennessee transfer from Harvard, Chris Ledlam, is headed back into the transfer portal after about an 86-day stint in Knoxville. We'll talk about why that might have happened. We'll talk about what it means for Tennessee and much more coming after coming up after the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And now, back to the show. All right, my friend, here we go back here on the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. As always, you can go and check out all of the latest news, notes, and content over at RockyTopInsider.com. And hey, while you're at it, we would love for you to go ahead and leave us a five-star review for this podcast. We're gearing up, okay? We are gearing up for the fall for football season, for basketball season, for women's basketball season, for baseball on the other side of things. We are gearing up for the 2023-2024 academic athletics year, and we are pumped about all the content that is coming out for you. So, hey, if you could do us a favor and just leave us a great rating, maybe even leave us a review, we would love to hear that from you. And, again, we will continue to do our best to provide you as much great content around Tennessee athletics as we possibly can. But until then... Right, we got a little basketball news to talk that broke on Thursday morning. Uh, we do, yeah. And uh, just the fact that Harvard transfer Chris Ludlam is re-entering the transfer portal after you said it at the start. Was it 86, 86 days? It was either 85 or 86. You know, sometimes okay. I don't know where they count the final day or not. It's a tricky one. It, it is a tricky one. But uh, 85 slash 86 days at Tennessee. Um, and, you know, we talked about it off air a lot's changed in those 85 days as a lot. It pertains to Tennessee's roster. And Tennessee uh, landed Dalton Connect, uh, who's a wing as well, the next week in the transfer portal. And then what, about a month later, Josiah Jordan James, who has a lot of the same versatility with his ability to play the four as well as the three, uh, just like Chris Ledlam decides that he's going to come back to Tennessee for his super senior season. So uh, from the time Ledlam committed, you know, it looked like obviously we knew Tennessee was – after Dalton Connect, but uh, he was going to be one of the main wings. And if, even if they landed Connect, one of uh, a guy that was going to be a major rotation piece. And then all of a sudden, Josiah Jordan James comes back too. And it just felt like if one of those three guys, someone was going to get left out a little bit. Not that they would never play, but they just wouldn't have a massive role. Ledlam probably seemed like the most likely of those guys. You really never know until uh, you get into the thick of things and, and through practice and into the season. Uh, so I think from Ledlam's side of it, it, it makes a lot of sense and just. From that depth that Tennessee had at this spot, it's not debilitating for Tennessee by any means either. Yeah, you know what? I'll be honest. I look at this as, truthfully, as a business decision in the modern college athletics world. I I think that this is a guy who we know had an illustrious four-year career at Harvard, ended as an all-Ivy League selection last year, wanted to go to a big school and a big conference and a big spotlight for his kind of final trip up to the next level, just to finally see what that was like. And you're right, at the end of the day, Josiah Jordan James returned some 42 days after uh, after uh, Chris Ledlam commits to Tennessee. You talked about it earlier. Dalton Connect comes in that following week as well. And at the end of the day, there was just a, there's a, a, a lot of players that are going to be competing for those spots. So I don't even look at this as, you know, he didn't want to compete, things like that. 
I frankly just look at it as a business decision in the modern college athletics world. He's going to go somewhere else and maybe have a little bit of an easier path to playing time, but maybe still try to find that big spotlight somewhere. It just didn't end up at Tennessee kind of because of all the reasons that you've mentioned and because of all uh, just kind of because of, again, the the big number of players that can be playing that spot for Tennessee. I also think that one of the one of the players that have kind of in that group that has really been making noise across the newswire in the last month has been Tobey Awaka, who, who's Tennessee's rising sophomore, who really ended the season as a really fascinating piece for Tennessee. A, 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 a guy who went on the court and, and Corton just had aggression. He had athleticism. He played great defense. He was he had a really good knack for rebounding the ball. Ended his freshman year at Tennessee with 3.2 points. Seems like something might have changed this summer in his game a little bit because he goes uh, overseas with Team USA for the FIBA World Cup, and he's averaging up to, a, what, 11.6 per game uh, over a seven-game stretch or something like that. So I think, to me, that kind of implies that Tobey Awaka could be set for a big sophomore leap this season and could factor in as one of Tennessee's most important guys around the paint. Again, that just kind of moves his priority level up the list a little bit. Again, all of these reasons combined just kind of just implies to me that this was a business decision for Chris Ledlam, and he's going to go find that playing time and that, fo- uh, and that spotlight maybe at a different place. Yeah, I would fight you a little bit on some of the Tobey Awaka assessment just from the sense that I thought he was pretty good offensively last year in the sense that he had good touch around the rim and uh, certainly not a diverse skill set. Uh, but I thought his biggest issue was he wasn't very good defensively and uh, he struggled with rotations and that's the type of stuff that – that kept him off, uh, at least in my opinion, kept him from getting more playing time. And But to me, the what you saw from him from Team USA on the offensive end is what's there. And that's just the ability to rebound on the offensive end at a level and clean stuff up. And uh, But your overall point is exactly right. Ludlum, I think, again, one of his strengths was his versatility. He could play the three, he could play the four. There's still opportunity at the four, but Tobey Awaka – looking so good and potentially making a second-year jump would kind of take that starting uh, opportunity away. And I think that's where, to me, uh, what Tennessee loses the most or the biggest downside of Ledlam is a really good security blanket and the fact that Tennessee doesn't have a ton of big men back. Tobey Walker, Jones to do. They bring in uh, J.P. Estrella, the prep kid from uh, up in somewhere in New England. I want to say New Hampshire. Uh, that's kind of escaping me at this moment. And so Tennessee's really got two proven big men either they're going to have to play a lot of four guards, which uh, and then the fact that if you don't have that ability to play small, you're going to ask a lot of JP Estrella. So uh, I think Chris Ledlam would have been a really nice safety blanket there. It would have just given you another body at the four and some versatility. But again, uh, Tennessee still has answers there. It just gives them a little bit less depth. Yeah, certainly, certainly would have been interesting to see what he would have looked like here, here at Tennessee in a in a in a big orange uniform. But oh, we probably won't have that opportunity as he enters the transfer portal on Thursday morning. And yeah, you're right. I, I think you know, no matter what kind of way you you look at it or what way you spin it, it just it ended up being a, a an interesting situation where they had a lot of pieces to work with. One of those. One of those pieces that that Tennessee has to work with heading into the season next year is going to be Zakai Ziegler, and he might not be there for the start of the season. Obviously, we know that he is recovering from that ACL injury that happened, I believe, in the penultimate game of the regular season last year, or I guess earlier this year in 2023. 
But Rick Barnes did address that on Tuesday whilst talking to the media, just kind of said, you know, hey, look, you guys have seen him play. You know it's in his DNA. I know he's going. he's gone at this rehab the way that you would expect him to do. He's been a model patient in terms of doing it. If you'd ask him, he'd tell you right now that he wants to practice today. When we first started, we came out doing some simple passing drills, and he wanted to jump right in, and we have to keep holding him back. End quote. That to me, obviously, is is very much what we know about Zakai Ziegler and his personality, and obviously his desire to get on the court. But it does sound like Tennessee is is going about this the right way. It sounds like Zakai Ziegler is going about this the right way. And at least I, I think the good news right now for for Tennessee fans is it doesn't look like there's been any significant road bumps or, or obstacles in the way of his recovery to get back in the court sometime near the start of the 2023-2024 season. You're right, and uh, everything – I mean, I think you said it's the exact same line, but everything Barnes said about Ziegler's injury is exactly kind of what you'd expect. That what's the guy Ziegler, uh, the way he would attack it and his competitiveness, competitiveness of wanting to be out there. I think, you know, Barnes said – it feels like he's – you know, they, he said – this is a good job by Barnes. This is a big-time journalism move by Barnes. He didn't make it his statement. He said, I think Garrett, our strength coach, and Chad are – trainer would tell you that he's a little bit ahead of schedule. I'm not telling you that. I think <laughs> they would tell you that. Uh, that's a pro journalism move by Barnes. But uh, so that's a good sign. He, he did say, you know, he feels like it'll probably be sometime late fall until he's back out there, uh, which again, just kind of matches the timetable we expected to begin with that it would probably be around the start of the season uh, or maybe a week or two into the season before he gets back. So you know, we'll see what happens on that. Uh, it seems like everything is running smoothly. And I think one thing that Certainly Tennessee got a lot of experience. The guys that are going to have to play point guard if Siegler is not out there got a lot of experience doing that in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you'll get more of that for Jemai Meshack, Santiago Vescovi, Freddie DeLeon, who obviously didn't get any of that as he was redshirting uh, when Tennessee heads to Italy at the start of next month and will play three exhibition games there. So I think that's a real advantage, especially since Tennessee doesn't have uh, another true point guard uh, on the roster that you would get a, a little bit of exhibition game experience for some of those guys to, to get used to running the point guard spot a little bit more. Yeah, no doubt about it. And again, we, we got to see a little bit from Tennessee basketball practice uh, earlier in the week. We'll, we'll get to be there a little bit next week. We also have SEC media days coming up next week. So there's still going to be a lot here on the road to the fall. But, I mean, Ryan, what do you think? It, it seems like we are pretty much, and especially starting next week, on that road, on, on the road to the fall with the college football season, college basketball season right around the corner too. And there's a lot of big things ahead. We're about to get this train started. No, you're absolutely right. And SEC Media Days, obviously next week, you and Jack will, will have us covered there. It'll be uh, full talking season hit, hits its full swing. And then after that, man, it'll be what week and a half, two weeks until fall practice starts. And uh, we'll be getting geared up for Tennessee football season and, as we know, as the fans know too, once you get to football season, it's not long until basketball is there. Once you get to basketball season, it's not long until baseball is there. So we'll start this train all over again and uh, do our best to provide the best coverage we can to all you guys. Yes, we will. And all of that coverage will be over at RockyTompInsider.com. That is the place, first and foremost, that you can check for all of the work that we put up there. Again, we are covering Tennessee baseball, football, and basketball. We're covering the side stories around it, too. Doing our best to get you the coverage that you need to know each and every day. If you want to follow Ryan on Twitter, you can do that at rshump00. If you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. If you want to follow the third to our RTI trio, you can follow him at Jack Foster Media. But of course, make sure you're following Rocky Top Insider on every single different social media platform. We are there at Rocky Top Insider on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. And hey, 
I don't think it's going anywhere. But we did get ahead of the curve, and we did start the Threads account. Now, again, I don't think that's going anywhere. I'll be honest with you. I certainly hope it's not going anywhere. I already have enough on my plate when it comes to the social media side of things. But nonetheless, we are there. We're everywhere is what I'm trying to say. Thanks so much for all your continued support and kind of what you're following with what we do at Rocky Top Insider. And again, like Ryan was saying, man, this train is about to leave the station. We are about to go full speed ahead. So make sure you're staying along with us. Make sure you are following all the content that we get you out. Ryan? That'll be it for today, my friend. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the weekend. And we'll certainly be talking next week with all the football happening. Sounds great. Thank you, my friend. Take it easy. Thank you so much for listening to the RTI Press Pass podcast today. Make sure you come find us on Twitter. Make sure you go find us online. We'll see you back for the next one.